When you're faced with adversity, do you flounder or fly? I'm Simon Ratcliffe, and on Turning the Tables, I share candid, powerful stories of people who have turned around adversity in their personal or business lives to find new purpose and meaning. Have you ever felt that you've lost a sense of who you are? Do you sometimes wish you could discover the freedom to find real happiness? This episode features the story of my guest, Marinel de Jesu, a mountain nomad, trekking entrepreneur, and campaigner for the rights of indigenous women. Marinel's story is of finding love through adversity in the most unlikely and unusual of circumstances. In fact, that's really my path, to be honest. If you are a kid that didn't feel like you knew what love was and you grew up in a very unloving home, one of the adversities you're going to face really is how are you going to find love in your life? And, and that was my journey. So because I found it in my own unique way, there's so much more, there's just so much more joy out of it because I earned it. Every person deserves love. But when you earn it too, on top of it, you're unstoppable. That's how I feel. I can never go back to being unloved again. Let me start by saying Marinelle is a remarkable woman. Born in the Philippines, her family moved to Seattle as immigrants when she was 13 years old. Pushed on by the rules and expectations of her parents, she went on to become an accomplished lawyer and later a child abuse prosecutor. But she carried a heavy burden, which she struggled to break free from. Despite her career, money, and a home, she still felt empty. And so it was, with the passing of her mother in 2017, and a work sabbatical, she discovered a path to freedom a freedom she had never experienced before. To set the scene for our conversation, Marinelle now lives in Peru. But we recorded our conversation during the COVID-19 lockdown with me in London and Marinelle stranded in the Altai mountain region of Mongolia on the border with Russia. With thousands of miles between us, and just an internet connection. You will, I hope, forgive some of the sound quality. We started our conversation by talking about the origins of Marinelle's life transformation. For me, a really interesting place to to start was really to understand more about this transition Mm -hmm. between your childhood obviously growing up in the philippines your your career in in law in seattle and then this transformation if that's the right word uh, into what you call yourself today which i think you call yourself a, a mountain nomad which is a very exotic title actually <laughs> but but of course you're you're much more than that because you're an entrepreneur you're a writer you're a speaker 
and you you obviously have a real sense of mission and vision about oh. women and trekking and and that piece. So I just wonder whether I could start just by understanding sure. what was behind that transformation. You know, that transformation is was actually slow going. It wasn't uh, overnight. And if you ask me if I ever imagined myself calling myself a mountain nomad, I would laugh at the idea. I. Uh, I think that would have been insane for someone to tell me that one day I will no longer live in the U.S. and I'll be floating around and be stuck in Mongolia and be happy about it. Uh, so I, I started out as a lawyer, which is very traditional. I come from a background of immigrant, being an immigrant uh, with my family. And so I came over to the U.S. when I was 13. When you're an immigrant, uh, the, the lifestyle really is focused on survival, you know, whatever decision mm. you make. I think I speak for most immigrants who come to America and, you know, even Europe, you know, Western countries where you're seeking for a better life and your parents ingrained that in your head. So that explains really why I became a lawyer. I, I actually wanted to do social work. I wanted to make a difference and I want to change the world. And the problem is being a social worker, obviously you don't get paid much. And so against the sort of the rule of my parents, I, if I do that, that would just have caused a lot of friction. And, you know, I, you know, when you're an immigrant and you're a kid, you almost have this guilt that you carry because your parents sacrificed coming over. And, yes. uh, and so you, I live with that guilt. You know, I had three older brothers. I was the youngest out of all of us. I think I was meant to be the most successful just because I'm the youngest coming to America. And when you're younger, there's better chances for you because you start young and you have more opportunities and there's no, you don't have to deal with, my dad dealt with age discrimination when we came over to America, my parents did. And then even my uh, older brothers who were in their twenties, they had, they had to struggle a little bit more than me, right? Uh, it was easier for me to fit in. So for me, when growing up, my view of the world was so different from what I am now. I completely 180 degree turnaround, you know, I, uh, I wanted to, please my parents. I wanted, you know, them to be happy and I want to thank them for what they've done. And so I wanted to be successful the way they want me to be, which would have been either a doctor or becoming a lawyer or some of some, you know, something to, along those lines. So the transformation, I honestly, I, um, I never expected it. I practiced law for 15 years. I actually did what I needed to do as and, you know, as my, my parents, the only daughter, I, I moved to D.C. and became a lawyer. And uh, and that's when my career, I mean, I, it was it was a good, successful career as a prosecutor in Washington, D.C. And eventually I realized, you know, I had a house, you know, I had I had the career. I didn't have a, a husband or the marriage that everyone wants me to have. But even before I jump into that, I think that's when I started thinking about my life. And I realized I love my career, but I don't think I want to ever want to be like this forever and ever and be in a legal field or become a, a judge. You'd be insane to be a judge, you know, as far as I'm concerned. That's another story. But yes. um, once you know how the legal system works, then you realize, I don't think I want to be one of those kinds of people with more power in my hands. Um, but, so but I was just going to say, presumably... Yeah. In those early years, mm -hmm. you must have felt a huge amount of pressure because becoming a lawyer is not easy, is it? You have to take no. a lot of exams. Mm -hmm. You have to be very dedicated. Yes. 
Did you, I mean, did at any point you ever think to yourself, I actually do want to do what I'm doing? Or did you always feel it was to do with the, the expectation and wanting to, to, you know, using your words, sort of thank your parents for, for the sacrifices they'd made? I want to say that in the beginning of it, it was really a lot of pressure. I, I can't deny that. Everything I've done when I was younger was had to do with getting the validation of my parents and, you know, getting, getting their support. And anything that goes against that, I didn't want to try it or do it because I was too afraid to get into a conflict with them, you know. And, um, and it was rough growing up because my mother had some mental health issues. She had some emotional issues. So I lived in fear as a kid because she was very... Um, verbally and you know it's really in a lot of ways verbally emotionally abusive so I live in a place where a home where it's like there were a lot of rules and if I don't follow them it's going to cause a lot of pain Hmm. that was my drive I had I hate to say that but I I guess I'm one of those people who didn't have a good child you know nice nurturing childhood I, I I actually somehow became a lawyer out of pressure and fear my life was driven by fear a lot. That, from what I recall, when I was growing up, even when I was in my twenties, my life was always filled with fear, and I, I think I hated that for so, you know, for like deep inside, I really hated that feeling of why am I driven by fear all the all this time? Even when I was a lawyer, I would, oh, it's scary to be a lawyer too. You know, there's a fear of failure with your with your um, career. Uh, going in front of judges wasn't easy. You know, you can easily be ridiculed if you're not, if you're insecure, it's just going to tap into that easily. Uh, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of comparisons with among, among lawyers. Um, so I felt like my life was so consumed with, with fear from the beginning. And maybe I just had enough of it, you know, and I think that's part of the transition is asking, why am I doing this with my life, with myself? Like, why am I letting myself suffer? Because I love my job, don't get me wrong, I did a really one meaningful job as a prosecutor defending abused children and neglected children in the system. But at the end of the day, I also felt like maybe maybe my passion kind of just dwindled down and I realized that there was something else I wanted to do. And I think that at that moment was when I discovered the outdoors. And for some reason, I just discovered it. If I didn't discover the outdoors, I might have just become a judge. And just follow that path because I was already in it. Was there a moment mm-hmm. you could sort of point to when that realization happened? And, and it must have been an enormous decision because being a practicing lawyer in Seattle and almost, you know, sort of pushing that to one side for a life which presumably must have been very uncertain but clearly something you were really motivated to do must have been must have been difficult did anything happen that suddenly tipped you over the edge to do that i think the turning point for me was when i i was actually against my will my deputy attorney general uh, my boss essentially told me i needed to do some detail like one year off from my uh, practice and because the, the short, they were short staffed with the mental health law division. Mental health law is very fascinating, but it's also difficult work, probably much worse mm. than what I was doing. No one wanted to go there to voluntarily to do a detail for a year. 
But all of a sudden they chose me because I was kind of the type of person I kind of just go with it and I never never make a fuss because of, you know, how I grew up. So they knew if I they picked me, I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't talk against it. So I ended up doing it for a year and realized how difficult it was. My, my one year there was quite uh, challenging, you know, um, it was a tough, uh, tough uh, practice. Uh, at that moment, I was kind of losing it mentally because I was exhausted. That was, I think, my thir- the 13th year in my career already, and I was getting burnt out. And mm. so at some point, for some reason, I don't know how, where it happened, but I wanted to just travel. I, I've always liked traveling, but I said, but this time I want to go for a year. <laughs> I told myself that. I said, that's insane. I was talking to myself about this. Like, that's insane. You can't do one year. You're a prosecutor. Who's going to give you a year off from your job? Um, and then I decided, you know what, maybe I'll ask for six months. Um, so I wanted to just take a sabbatical, you know, no one in my office ever did that. But for some reason I was just so inspired to leave. I, there was this inner voice that just kept nagging me. You need to go get away, get away from this, take six months off. Usually I just go on vacation, right? Like follow the, the typical vacation, um, that you get every year, which is two weeks to a month to three weeks. Right. So depending on how long you've been there, um, but this time around, I had a very strong feeling, just a push inside of me saying, no, take a, take, a, take a six months off, take a long time off. And you know what? The funny thing is I, I sent an email out to my deputy. It was uh, after a long trial that I had. I was burnt out. I was sitting in my office. It was like sun, sun was setting. And I said, this is it. I got to write this email. So I started writing the email. And I all of a sudden, like, I kind of stopped and said, you're crazy, Marin. Oh, don't do this. You, you know, your boss is going to go crazy on this. And, you know, that this might backfire and they're going to think you're insane. Uh, and then I hesitated for a moment and I, and then I said, you know what? I think that was the moment when I said, when I had this voice in my head saying, what are you going to lose? What do you, what do you have to lose? You've been here forever in this career. You know, they're not going to just like fire you for asking for this. I said, yes. You know, because you, for some reason, you're brainwashed to think that the consequences are die when you ask for something you want. When you realize if, if the only thing they do is say no, and it's not the end of the world. And so when the, the realization came and the clarity came, I pushed the enter button and sent the email. And, uh, and then I'm like, oh, my God. But that was just to me was the beginning of I think it was the beginning of finally facing the fear and becoming more courageous. Because that was a very courageous moment in my life where I finally stood up and said, this is what I want. I think lots of people will will relate to that point you just made about, you know, we get constricted with things that are really in our imagination rather than the reality. So as you said, you know, what was the worst that could happen? Somebody could say, no, you can't take that year's sabbatical. And yet somehow or other the act of doing that it's, it seemed to me from what you've said was was liberating in a way it was just taking that step of of not conforming just on that one moment suddenly opened a door for you yes and so i i sent it out to the universe you know that request and i said oh man you know I, i'm gonna hear it from my boss and and you know actually the response was Oh, okay. We got your response. Let me, let me, let it, let us see what we could do. I'm like, Oh, really? Wow. You know, so that wasn't a no, that was actually quite a positive response. And, uh, you know, in short, really the, the end of the story is that I got a yes, uh, with my request. They gave me six months, uh, leave 
And then um, while I was on the road, I requested for another six months and I was able to, to be away for one year. That was a very, um, very pivotal moment in my life is going, was going away for a year. I traveled in 21 countries hiking by myself and that changed my life completely. That, that's an ex, that's an extraordinary experience, isn't it? Really, I mean, to to do that on your own. I mean, uh, how did you feel doing it? What was going on in your mind through through that experience? Well, you know, in the beginning, I was just excited because I was going to go travel, kind of like going on vacation. But then I realized uh, a few months in, I was it wasn't just a vacation anymore. It was becoming a reality. And it was becoming part of my reality, not just uh, a short moment to escape something. It was actually trying to take me somewhere else. Like it wasn't going to, I wasn't going to come back to the U.S. and still be the same person. At some moment in time during my journey, I realized, I realized what I did. It wasn't a vacation to just take a pause and go back to my, where I was. It was a, a moment to make major decisions in my life. And that's when it got a bit scary being on the on this journey because I when I realized what I have done, I um, I all of a sudden realized what I'm about to do or what decisions I had to face at that moment, and they were big decisions. For some reason, on that journey, because I was alone a lot. I mean, I met people along the way where I would hike with them or do certain things with them, but for most part, for the most part, I was in solitude, and so. One thing I learned is that being alone and having some time with yourself is such a powerful experience that uh, it can actually change your life because you get to really know who you are. And I think that one year was pivotal because I finally got to know my voice and what I wanted uh, away from all the pressures, away from my parents, society, away from my bosses and my career, uh, away from mortgage and all these other responsibilities and felt like, and I think it's an eye-opener to realize there are other ways to live besides the kind of life you're living. Many, many people actually don't take that leap, do they? Well, one, one thing, you know, that relates to my parents' wishes, they wanted me to get married and have kids. I realized I'm not that person. That was a major breakthrough. And that was a hard question to ask uh, when I was on my journey. I thought for some reason I had to really answer it. Because the reason why I had to answer that question, because I think when I traveled, I was close to 40 at that, my age was, I'm pretty before I traveled. And so I, 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 for some reason that question became something that I had to address during the journey. And I'm really happy I did. And that's when I realized, you know, why haven't I been married? You know, is that something I really believed in? I had to ask myself a lot of hard questions. And, and then I found the answers within me. You know, I, I realized, no, that's not me. Do I need that to be happy? No, I don't. Do I want kids? No, I never had a feeling of wanting to have kids. Do I want to be married? Not really. That's not. So I actually went through some of the questions in my mind about who I was and what people wanted me to be. And one by one, I basically came down to conclusions, kind of like the way I have always been as a lawyer. It's almost like I put myself in a sort of a trial and figured out my own life during that journey. One by one, all the issues I had to tackle, I finally had the courage to do so. Um, and um, so I'm not that w girl that my parents wanted me to be. I grew up as a Catholic, so it was a big deal to get married. That wasn't me at all. And one thing that's so, well, I think what's obvious really is I'm not the kind of girl that people thought I would be where I would 
just settle and stay in one place. I'm, I, I realize I'm a person who wants, who wants adventure. Like I've never imagined that I would be this adventurous, but that's, that's really sort of who I am now. That's really who I am. And, and that's different from what, with the way I was growing up, completely 180. The last day my, uh, that I was a lawyer was the day my mother died. So, oh, really? yes, it's May 19. It's, it's actually coming up. And it's going to be third year, the third year anniversary. Uh, every time her, uh, her death uh, anniversary comes, I, I, I mean, you know, I have two different kinds of feelings about it. You know, it's the feeling of the loss because physically she's not, she's not here anymore. But there's also this overwhelming gratitude because it was a gift when she left, uh, you know, this place. Uh, she, she left me with a gift. And it's hard to explain, but when she died, I went to the Philippines to see her funeral and, and to attend, you know, to meet my family. And then I, um, I had clarity for the first time in my life. She gave me clarity and the courage to, to never go, go back to my career. Um, the last day I... I, I was in my office was when I told my boss, my mom passed away. Then she goes, go get your flight, go, 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 go to your family. So that was how I ended my career <laughs> was a goodbye. And because of my mom passing and, and then my boss said, come out, come back whenever you feel, when you have, whenever you're ready. I'm like, really? <laughs> and that was even an interesting comment from a government agency. And I said, okay, I guess whenever I feel ready. And then, you know, my mom died in May and I thought, okay, I wonder what the government's rules are on like coming back after a death in the family. And yes. I thought, you know, I was like, oh, maybe a month. And then June came and I'm like, I'm not ready. July came. But you know, my boss was not even sending me any emails to check up on me. It's not like they wanted me, you know, they're like pressuring me to come back. And so June came, July came, finally August came and they're like, hey, Meredith, how's it going? And I said, oh, can I just, and then they said, oh yeah, just think a little bit more about it. So I think it was in early September, I finally sent uh, a letter of resignation to my boss. It's interesting that um, point you're making about how you, how you felt almost, uh, as you say, it's not a negative thing you suddenly felt like a weight off your your shoulders and and I've interviewed a number of people on this podcast who have made very similar comments where they had a difficult childhood I mean whether it was alcoholism or or abuse or something like that it's tremendous freedom that comes when you don't have that anxiety about you know your your mother or father or or their their influence yeah, I mean, perhaps that might be it. I don't even realize what it was, but I, I, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, it's not like you want to trade that for, you know, losing someone, but. No, it, of course. Yeah. So I'm always conflicted how to take it because it's almost as if like, oh, should I celebrate? You know, there's like this feeling of celebration about it. But at the same time, you are grieving and you, you know, you love that person somehow, you know, in, in, even though it is, in, in your family may be dysfunctional, right? And you never understood them. You know, I also realized, I've, you know, there was always love, right? Even though it's not what you expect. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, there is a liberation type of feeling. And in, in, in fact, there, in, in a weird way, you know, now that she's gone, I, I always, it's almost as if I feel her much closer to me now, much than ever before. Yes. When, when she was alive, because our relationship wasn't the best, that it was actually much more toxic and difficult and, and very stressful. And now 
I always just feel like she's watching me and it's such a great feeling to have, you know, and when COVID-19 happened, you know, being in Mongolia, I'm alone here. And, and to be honest with you, if, if my mom was still alive, I, I don't know if I would be as strong as I am now uh, compared to like where I am now, where I feel like she's with me. It's, it's, yes. kind, of, it's kind of hard to explain, but I feel like I'm not by myself, you know? Yes. I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, there is that um, that idea that as in nature, you know, if you're in a, in a forest, a tree dies and it makes way for young saplings to grow. So in a way, it's a, it is, there is a sort of natural parallel, isn't there, really, there? Yeah, definitely. So you took the leap, and and then at what? I mean, obviously you built a career really around around your trekking. So how did that emerge? I mean, did you have a right at the beginning? Did you have a vision for what you wanted to do, or or did that emerge as you got more and more experience of of doing the thing you loved? It started out really as a passion for hiking. So I became enamored with hiking. The, the, it's actually, I think it started, I want to say a year within my, into my career, I discovered hiking in Washington, D.C. area. And I started to fall in love with it. I just love being in nature because my job was so stressful. So I thought it was just a hobby for a long time. And then I decided to join a, a social uh, group uh, called meetup.com and I became an organizer. So I started organizing trips all over uh, D.C. area in U.S. And then it became global. I started wanting to go to Nepal, so I would invite people to join. I go to Kilimanjaro, I go to um, to Asia, to all these different places just for fun. And uh, you know, it wasn't a business or anything. It was just a hobby. I wasn't making money off of it. But you know, lo and behold, ten ten or so years later, I was still doing the meetup organizing and. People have actually told me, I think you have a skill here. And then I thought, I I, I just laugh about it because I'm like, look, I'm a lawyer. I'm not going to like quit my job to organize trips all the time. You know, that's a hobby. How am I going to survive? So for a while I was like, and I always knew I wanted to hike. All I want to do is be in the outdoors. But then I couldn't figure out what to do with it. You know, like, how do you transform your hobby into a paying job? To me, it was like, this is, you know, there's no way. So, but for some reason, it just evolved. Uh, I think the trigger was when my mom passed away, and uh, that's when I uh, that's when I realized, you know what, I'm gonna make this a full time thing, not just a part time gig where I can have side money or side hustle. I, I did start my organization before my mom passed away, a little bit before she passed away, and uh, just as an experiment, you know, I just wanted the side gig, like maybe charge a little bit more, make it into a com- a little bit of a small company. But then I, I, I decided, you know what, forget it. Life is too short. I'm getting old. And I think like that's when it all kind of, I just had this, for some reason, the confidence came when my mom passed away. It just, the 100% confidence came for whatever reason. And I said, Why, what am I waiting for? I'm just going to go full time with the hiking. And so that's when, you know, when after that decision, I really don't know how I was going to make it pay, you know, pay my bills. But somehow it just did. You know, basically, you just have to have faith that it's going to work out. You know, sometimes you just wake up and you have this strong feeling of what you want to do. You don't know how you're going to do it. You don't know how you're going to make that happen and make it feasible. But you do it anyway without knowing the logistics yet. And somehow it just works out. And that's one thing I learned with this journey. It's like sometimes you don't need to know all the answers on 
how to do get from point A to B. Sometimes you just have to follow that feeling because it's so strong that you can no longer deny it and go for it. And then somehow along the way, I figured, okay, this is how you're going to run a business. This is how I'm going to make the money. And this is how I can make it work. And this is what I'm, my mission is for this business, you know? And um, I, I love trekking. And so I always know that if I'm going to get into this field, I wanted to change the industry because I knew there were problems. And that's something I learned during the 10 year I was leading trips. Porter, the Porter issues are very important to me because I met a lot of porters in Nepal and Africa and other places where things have just not changed at all. I've been trekking for such a long time now. When I compare what happened like a decade ago to what's happening now, nothing much has changed for them. And that's really, that's quite insane how this lucrative industry has never taken a look at how they treat their labor force and make any changes of any sort. Oh, that's terrible, really, isn't it, when you think about it? Um, you know, at least a minimum wage or something of that uh, that nature. And, and in a way, there's also a government responsibility there as well, you know, within the, within the territories where people actually do go travelling. Although, I, you know, no, no doubt it's this dilemma of thinking, well, we don't want to, you know, put off our tourist industry in any way. So sort of pushing it under the carpet somewhat. Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, like it's like any other industry. If you have industry, if you any, every industry has its own problems. And I think tourism is really difficult because it's easy to evade the issue. It's easy for us to... I mean, it's easy for us to just kind of push it under the rug. And, um, you know, and, and so, yeah, and it's very lucrative. People make money out of it. And so those people who benefit are have the power to maintain the status quo, unfortunately. And I think then that's one of my mission for my enterprise is to untangle that and try to figure out a better industry. You know, we're all talking about social responsibility and we're always talking about responsible tourism, but we can't just focus on environment when we talk about that. You know, we, we should talk about the labor force. They're part of the industry. And we cannot just keep on forgetting that because they've been already forgotten. As the person you are, what's your next 10 years look like? What do you want to achieve? Wow, 10 years is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, I, suppose I, I suppose I meant just not, not just tomorrow. <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, as a nomad, I, I mean, I'm getting to know the lifestyle of, of a nomad. And um, one thing I realized is that, you know, when I was a lawyer, I planned everything in five, 10 year increments. <laughs> when I became a nomad, it's more like five days or like, you know, <laughs> or 10, 10 days or even maybe two weeks. Right. Um, but maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part <laughs> of the attraction. It is because. I mean, it is, and you know, and all, but but you know, it's all. There's still a part of me that's a lawyer. I I always, you know, I've, I was uh, that was the majority of my life. You know, I spend, I spend my, most of my adult life being a lawyer and being uh, logical and being uh, organized. So it's still part of me, but uh, but it's a, a mixture with with being a nomad as well, which is really interesting because sometimes I catch myself being a lawyer too much, and I realize you're not a lawyer anymore. You don't have to plan ten years. You know, you're not buying a house, you know, you're not saving money to buy a house, you know, that kind of planning. And, um, you know, for me, uh, you know, to be honest with you, my goals are basically related to my enterprise where I want to I want to actually just just uh, 
be able to discover the truths in the industry. I want to grow and learn in the industry that I'm in now. And I want to expose the situations to the world, like the truths. And sometimes I get in trouble for that. I think, uh, I, th I feel like my life has been about truth seeking these days. I just, I'm just looking for things that I never knew. To me, that's like exciting, you know, because I feel like when I was a lawyer, life was so predictable and I never really learned anything new. You know, my life day in and day out was so the same, right? So my new lifestyle gives me this opportunity to learn something so different every day, almost every day, even in Mongolia. I can, you know, I can learn about a new language. I can learn a new culture. I can learn, learn something about a religion because I'm in a Muslim country, Muslim part of the country, you know, and I... You know, so, so to me, I should really be taking advantage of that now that I've chosen this lifestyle. So my goal, to be honest, I can tell you what my goal is for my lifetime. It's to learn, to, to actually learn lessons. Here we go. So I broke my, my rule. I'm not going to, you know, give you a one-day plan. I, my, the, my plan for the rest of my life is just to grow and to learn as much as I, I, I want to learn. You know, I, I would, I've been, you know, I told you I went on a migration with the women nomads. There were things I learned that no one knew about the culture, and I'm excited to share it with the world because I'm doing a documentary. To me, that to me is what I'm living for. I live for these days, you know. Tell us about that documentary. Obviously, a, a large part of your work now, blogging, writing, putting out views and, and your opinions. Tell us about the project. The project, well, like like I mentioned, uh, you know, I ended up getting stuck in Mongolia for the COVID-19, but... Uh, the, the plan was initially, I had some clients doing an all-women migration led by women nomads in Mongolia, and, uh, but I ended up doing it myself to uh, try it out and see for myself and learn more about the project, which the, the project really is focused on elevating the roles of women in the trekking tourism industry because if you ask me who are leading the migrations, there are migration tours here in Mongolia. It's been going on for a long time. But if you look at who are leading them, they're all men. No, women, the women are not leading. So I was fascinated by this notion. And I, I mean, I'm always curious. So I asked myself, why is it that when women are not leading these trips, what is the difference between men and women doing migrations? And that's how my curiosity started a year ago. I started researching and found out that um, well, I don't want to give away all the things that you're going to learn from the document, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but it is quite exciting what I learned. But um, it, there are a lot of, uh, uh, you know, things that people need to learn about, like migration, who led them in the past and what changed over the years. And, and, you know, and so it's fascinating because we brought we brought the women onto this migration. The women nomads themselves were so excited to do the migration. And so we did it. And uh, it was nine women, including myself. And we. We did it, and and I think uh, I think it's going to break a lot of the stereotypes and a lot of the ideas that people have about men and women doing migrations in Mongolia. Um, so to me, it's like a gender st gender issue uh, kind of topic where I'm exploring the place of women in the trekking industry, but I'm also I'm also involving my own experience as a nomad and someone in the outdoors who lives something who lives a life that's unconventional. And so I learned from the women themselves how to live as a nomad in real life and apply that to my own life as a modern-day nomad. Just for people listening, I'm fascinated you understand what is that nomad life? What, <laughs> what, are the, what, what, what are the components? Almost like an outdoor minimalism, but maybe ah. that's a misconception. Wow. Actually, you know, it's, you know nomadism is like it, it has a lot of... Uh, 
definitions, I think. So it depends who you Usually people think of the digital nomads as the nomads. But really, the, the quality of a nomad is someone who, who moves a lot, basically, who doesn't have a permanent, who doesn't, or doesn't stay in one place, really. Like, I wasn't a nomad before this lifestyle, basically, because I had a house in Washington, D.C., and I had it for 10 years, and I was stuck there for, for that long period of time. Um, but my lifestyle now is, uh, for me, being a nomad means I move around a few countries every year, and I don't have a a permanent place i'm kind of just stopping by in in the country that i'm in for for whatever reason for for this one i'm finishing up a film it could be because i have a track that i'm trying to do an adventure that i'm pursuing um but people have different variations to it you know but the idea really is that you're you're the kind of person who just doesn't want to stay in one place really and it does, it's, it's driven a lot by freedom, the ability to be creative and the freedom of deciding for your life where you want to be. Uh, you're not bound by location. Uh, so a lot of the nomadic people that I know are very uh, free-spirited in a lot of ways. They want, you know, they follow what they feel like doing rather than be constrained by rules and regulations by a, a structure or an organization. That's fascinating, and and as you say it like that, it sounds enormously attractive. Actually, um, <laughs> thinking to myself, mm, I'd like to do that. Um, and uh, but I wondered, you know, pe- people, if you ask people about what their anchors are in life, I think a lot of people would say their their home and their yeah, family. That's true. What, what what's the anchor for you? Now? Wow, I have to think for a second on that question. That's a very good question. You know, I, what I want to say my anchor is, is actually freedom. That's my anchor. I don't know, that word comes, up, comes to mind when you ask me that question. It sounds kind of counter, counterintuitive because freedom sounds so elusive and so it's always moving. It seems very, you know, it's not stable and permanent, right? Freedom sounds like it can go anywhere, you know, away anytime right so um but i think there is there is such thing as maybe uh striving to get freedom on a constant basis that's that's what i'm wanting more more than anything i don't have a house anymore i gave up all my possessions i don't have a family obviously i'm you know i don't have kids so i actually what anchors me is the idea that there's no, no such thing as permanency but there's freedom behind that. And I think for some reason that that idea to me is so liberating. It's so attractive. I don't know why. I mean, I'm still trying to understand it fully. But the reason why I, I chose this lifestyle because I was so attracted to the idea that there is no such thing as permanence. I mean, I think, I, I think maybe you're doing yourself an injustice because of listening to you talk. I, um, the whole idea is hugely attractive i think you know this sort of un, un unconfined unshackled uh freedom of mm-hmm. thought freedom of, of movement I, it feels to me like the the kind of notion which is hugely attractive to people um particularly in our current day and age mm-hmm. but of course the issue is as you you know as you obviously experienced in you know in your in your early life there are obviously so many things that are barriers for people to take that opportunity whether they are financial or family or commitments or whatever whatever it might be Mm -hmm. but I don't think that makes it any less attractive (laughs) 
Yeah, I think I think what I'm sort of what my anchor I think is not something that's so common. You know, a lot of the anchors, like you said, would be a home and a family. But for for a very few select few, I think like you know like myself, it's uh you know it's not that there's fear of permanency or having family or a home. It's more, I think for some reason it's the, the I think what I like about having no permanency is that I feel like there's no suffering attached to it. Like maybe maybe that's my thing. Like I remember I remember when I was living a, you know the nine to five life. I always felt like when I get attached to something and it doesn't work out, you know, it it, it I fall into this trap of like feeling feeling like you know such a big loss. And you get I I I I, I kind of relearned what attachment is in in this world in this lifestyle that I'm in now. That there is such thing as so freeing when you accept the fact that nothing is permanent and. I think my anchor is more intangible than anything, to be honest. It's more of an inner anchor, I, I would say. It's not tangible like a, a home and a family. And your- no, and I mean, in many ways, that strikes me as being it's almost more powerful because um, it, it's more about the, you know, the inner person rather than, than the external environment or the circumstances. Do you, do you think now that you have developed a stronger inner confidence as a result of what you've done? Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not sure if the word is confidence, but it's more like I, I develop uh, just trust, trust in uh, life, in, in what it means to be here. I don't know if it's confidence, you know, I feel like I do things, you know, I, I look like I'm confident because I just feel like I need to do to do th- certain things because I need to survive too, you know, because now I'm on my own. So I run my business, so I have to just do it. Right. But uh, it's more of a fact that I trust my journey and I believe that I made this decision because there's a purpose for it. It's not a callous, reckless, uh, you know, silly decision that I made. It was actually... A lot of it has to do having faith and trust that this is where I'm supposed to be. It struck me that that this notion of just being prepared to let go of control and and allow the world to present things to you and going with them is is a very powerful idea. And I wonder whether that's to some extent what you're talking about. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that notion that you just mentioned, you know, surrendering to it. I I actually feel like I let go of a lot of control after I left my, my career. The life I had in in US was very uh, controlled by me. And there's something to be said about letting go of control and feeling like you have control. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's like, if you want to control, have control in your life, just let it go. Let go. Completely. I mean, I think that's yeah, absolutely quite, true. Quite ironic, <laughs> but, you, but I think uh, I never knew that such thing is, is, you know, it's actually a fact of life where when I was younger, I always thought, no, the, the way to go is to control it. You got to control it. But my view of control is so limited, was so limited then. Now my view of control is more like, I will control it in conjunction with the universe sort of thing, you know, like basically like maybe that's the best way I could describe it. But I always feel like I try to control, but then I always surrender at the same time when needed. And there are moments that you just know when you have to surrender and surrendering doesn't necessarily mean you've lost control. It may mean it's just going to be so much better than you anticipate it to be. This podcast is about people overcoming adversity to 
find new meaning and fulfilment in their lives. What was the, the gift that adversity gave to you, that adversity of, of, of your life before you did this? Well, if I look back at the adversity, I mean, it's, it's like when my, in my younger years, it would be the struggle to, to basically get validation from people that you love, right? It's, it would be my parents, the, the toughness of having to get their approval and love, really, because in a lot of ways, the biggest adversity in my life was I didn't, I didn't get lucky and, you know, like others where you grew up in, you grow up in a good family. And when you have issues in your family that, you know, you got to deal with when you're an adult. That's the adversity that you're going to have to deal with the rest of your life. Plus, of course, you you were you know an immigrant family in a in a in a foreign territory. That that. So it made it worse. Yeah, definitely. So I did. I had a very very dif- difficult family life with my parents, but then you know moving to US made it worse. So I grew up uh, sort of really kind of a lot of deficits, you know, growing up as a kid, I didn't have enough nurturing. I didn't have any uh, enough support and, and love from my parents. So I had to, that was my adversity. And uh, for a long time, it, the adversity basically, you know, crippled me for so long. I think one gift that it gave me, to be honest, is I'm always grateful for the contrast. If I didn't have the contrast of how awful life can be at times and how low you can go with the adversity that you face, you will never feel as grateful and happy as you, you know, like I do now. I think my joy is tripled and multiplied hundred times more because my life was never easy. It wasn't handed to me because I had a good family to give me love. I had to figure out love for myself. In fact, that's really my path, to be honest. If you are a kid that didn't feel like you knew what love was and you grew up in a very unloving home, one of the adversities you're going to face really is how are you going to find love in your life? And, and that was my journey. So because I found it in my own unique way, which, you know, is maybe my life of being a nomad is my way of doing it. There's so much more. Oh, I don't know. Like there's just so much more joy out of it because I earned it. I mean, I deserved it. Right. But then I also earned it. Every person deserves love. But when you earn it too, on top of it, you're unstoppable. That's how I feel. I can never go back to being unloved again. And that's what adversity gave me, is this gate that opened, that forever closed, and I'm now home free for the rest of my life to be happy. That's that's very, very inspiring um, stories, uh, the way you've told that. I, I wonder what you would say to other people, to people who are listening perhaps who have some kind of adversity or challenge in their life, what, what would your advice be to them? Oh, um, I'm trying to reflect back when I was, my mindset when I was in that mode where diverse, adversity was such a prominent thing in my life where you feel like there's no way out. You know, I, I think that, I think when I reflect back on my younger self, I would have told myself, like, look, you may not see that there is an out or you may see that this is always going to be the way things are, but it's not going to be because as a human being, you have free will. You have choices. You can create your future. Your past is your past. It may be screwed up. It might might have been the most awful thing in the world for you, but 
from here on and forward, you can create your world and your universe and your own path. And I think that's what I've done with my life. You know, I, I actually became a child abuse prosecutor partly because I was emotionally and mentally abused by my mom and my, my parents. And I became a prosecutor in that sense because I wanted to save the kids. I wanted to help them. I understood what they were doing. And when I was young, no one, no one fought for me. So I fought for them. But then I also, you know, it's so funny. The re I, I love my job so much and I really was passionate about it. I quit it because I realized I needed to let it go as well because I can't always live in that world of abuse. I can't continue. I had to give myself permission to move on and create my new reality which would be hiking and outdoors and happy mountain climbing life, you know? So you, if you have to, you know, what my advice is really just, just be honest to and evaluate your life. Look at your life right now, you know, see what, what's going on. Like, why are you where you are? You know, maybe there's a reason why you're, you're there and why you're not over there where your joy is. And also like, I would tell people to explore what their joy is. You know, you don't have to force it. Mine kind of came naturally, but it, it happened because I was exploring. I went on a hike one day and lo and behold, that was my passion, right? So I think we have those choices that we can make. If we don't feel like hiking, maybe we won't, we'll miss out on that because maybe that will be your way to find your joy, you know? So I would tell people that you can always make the choice to do something. And it may not be that total answer to your problem, but it's a little step that will take you there. My answer to my problem took a long time to, before it came. It was little steps. It was, oh, I like hiking. Oh, I like leading groups. And then all of a sudden, you know the real answer? Leave my, leave, my, leave my career behind and everything and move on and do a totally insane thing and become a mountain nomad. You know? So it's all about little steps, but also just be, you know, just explore and always remember you have a choice. And I think when I was younger and I was very much uh, caught up in my adversity, I, I always had this mindset where I didn't have a choice. It's where I was and I will always be the way, the way it is because of my, because of, you know, my past. And that's not true at all. So, you know, I know it's hard, you know, for people to, to take those steps, but I think, you know, I think even just little steps would help. Like, you know, if you're, if you're curious about hiking or painting or, or uh, you know, playing guitar, whatever, any curiosity, you should entertain it because that's what happened to me. It's that's fantastic. That's wonderful advice <laughs> and a great and inspiring story. To bring us up to date with literally what you're doing now. Am I right in saying you, you just produced or you're about to produce a book? You obviously got the the documentary how can people sort of uh, interact with you shall i say well i have a site uh browngaltracker.com and uh peakexplorations.com browngaltracker.com is the travel and uh trekking website where i talk about my travels and journey um and then uh, peak explorations is my company which is a travel tracking company well tourism obviously is not uh happening right now because of the pandemic but you know, uh, you know, I usually have trips a few times a year that I lead or sometimes 
I don't, depending on whether I'm available. But I, I, there are trips all over the world, and they're mostly tracking in different places. And it's a social enterprise. So a lot of uh, what I do with my company is to focus on border issues and try to include women in the industry. That's why I did the documentary Mongolia, because I want to elevate their, their women's role in the migration tours and in migration in general and the outdoors. Um, I also have a new nonprofit that I established called the PorterVoiceCollective.org. And this is because of the need to elevate the voices of the porters in Peru, Nepal, and Kilimanjaro. And I have a documentary in Peru that got done and in, is in post-production. But because of the controversy of the topic of that film, we are a bit uh, delayed in, uh, and also the COVID-19. And then I have a documentary in Mongolia, which I'm finishing as well, called We Are Nomads, a true story of an all-women migration in the Altai Mountains. Um, that's wow. uh, Yeah, so now we're finishing up the post-production part of it, and hopefully that's probably going to be available sooner than the Peru film. My focus right now is film because this, in terms of storytelling, it's probably the most effective way to get the message out quicker. Well, we'll put all of the links in the in the show notes, of course, so people can contact you. And, and I'll also put the uh, the link to that wonderful um, documentary as well um, so that people can find you out. That's been absolutely wonderful. It's been a really inspiring conversation and um, I'm sure people have got a tremendous amount out of it. Yeah, and thanks for the opportunity for me to share, Simon. I appreciate it. I oh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure and, um, yeah, to totally wonderful. So what can we take away from this episode? Marinelle's honesty and depth of insight about the influences and motivations in her life I found revealing and inspiring. The understanding of how her upbringing had led her to feel, in her own words, not good enough and the feeling of emptiness despite having a good career, a home and money. As with a previous guest, the writer, broadcaster and fisherman John Bailey in episode 5, she has found fulfilment by carving out a life around the things she is passionate about, trekking, campaigning and writing. There is so much to learn from Marinelle's story. But the thing that really struck me was how Marinelle found freedom and the love that was missing through her childhood in a totally different way from so many of us. Not through finding a life partner or having a family, but by discovering a deeper connection with herself. Married to the mountains, nature has given Marinelle the nurture she lacked growing up as a young woman. As Marinelle said, the gift of adversity for her was that it opened a gate to be free and happy for the rest of her life. You can find Marinelle's new film, We Are Nomads, the story of women leading migrations in the Altai Mountains, on Facebook and Marinelle's Brown Girl Trekking website. The links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning the Tables. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and be sure to listen out for the next episode, where I again will be exploring with my guests how they turned adversity into advantage. See you next time.
go safely.